Hello, hello, this is Alex Burkett, and you're listening to the Long Game Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking with Bronca Ballot. Bronca is a seasoned go-to-market professional with 15-plus years of experience in management consulting, private equity, and tech startups in sales and marketing. She's currently the VP of Marketing at Glide. That's glideapps.com. In this conversation, we covered Bronca's role in launching GoDaddy Pro, a sub-brand within a massive company. We specifically covered the details of how to get buy-in for some big initiative like this, including building an impact analysis, doing customer research and segmentation, and presenting a vision and a roadmap to get towards that goal. We also covered tactical steps to take to keep stakeholders and team members excited in the early days when it seems like a slog of ramping up on a big project like this. And I think all content and marketing professionals will find this useful and relatable. We also covered the intricacies of leading remote teams, where marketing is going, early dreams of becoming a Formula One race car driver, and much, much more. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Bronca Ballot. I've got a silly question to start out. Yeah. Um, I was looking at your LinkedIn profile and uh, buried underneath uh, a lot of the experience was the fact that you were involved in the wine circle at Stanford. Does yes. this ring any bells? Yes, <laughs> okay. So I want to know what the wine circle was. And more importantly, what can you teach me, a total noob? I, I know like red and white. Like I, that's like my okay, knowledge right, about right. wine. What can you teach me about wine? So first, let me tell you about the wine circle, because uh, this is one of the really good reasons to go to business school in general is like these affinity groups that form in the wine circle. I was I'm still I still am like you. I like drinking wine. I'm not this like connoisseur. But what the really good thing is like this was like student led and you would have like someone who really knows about wine and they would kind of like source these like local producers. And, you know, we were close to like Napa Valley. And they would kind of like source uh, these um, local producers and they would bring their bottles and we would have this like tasting that it wasn't like, you know, getting drunk tasting. It was like really like learn about the wine and, you know, the producer and blah, blah, blah. It was like really interesting. And, you know, some of us were just there to drink, but th- there, mm-hmm. there's actually like real content and real knowledge to be absorbed. I think, I don't know if I absorbed all of it, but um, it was really interesting so the one thing that I can teach you, and I I should not say this because I live in the U.S. I'm from Brazil, live in the U.S., and my partner is French. I should not say this, but we do not like California wine. We don't Ooh. like American wine. Interesting. Um, we actually can find like at Trader Joe's much better like French wine for like 20 bucks than if you buy like a 20 buck bottle of uh, California wines. And if you actually go to France or Europe and you can buy it for like 10 euros, 20 euros, like something like much better quality. So um, yes, it's not very popular, but. Um, but how we- much of that is subjective versus more like agreed upon generally? Like, is that like, is wine something where you're really the learning experience is like how to find your own taste and your own voice within that is true, that is true. Or... I, I don't know at least in my household and in my circle I do have to say that we do hang out with a lot of like French the French community in all of the places that we go so probably I am a little tainted a little biased because we have that French connection but we tend to find better value in like European wines Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Um, let's maybe talk I, I could do more wine but uh, let's talk about marketing for a little bit yeah. um, 
So to frame the convo, you're at Glide now, VP Marketing. I want to talk about your GoDaddy time, but uh, what's uh, what's your origin story? How did you how did you break into the marketing world? Because you, you didn't start in marketing, right? No, no. I am a mechanical engineer by background. Um, started my career in management consulting and like one of these big consulting firms and very quickly realized that I didn't want to be a consultant, right? I wanted to be operating at some point. I went to business school, then jumped into private equity, which was like giving me one step further into like being closer to the operations, but I wasn't there just yet. Um, and then eventually after a couple of years, I went to Zenefits. It was a, it was a big startup at the time that did HR software for small businesses, um, and so they were growing really fast and they had like a rapidly scaling sales team. Uh, and so someone that I, I got to know was there uh, in leading all of the sales strategy and operations. And so I joined that team to really help scale the sales team. So we were scaling like super fast. So new systems, new processes, had to sell more, you know, prospect more. So it was all of the things around sales. Um, and so, and you know, in, in this traditional, um, you know, SaaS companies, like before this whole like PLG era, um, everything was like, it was marketing, you know, you had marketing driving like the inbound, and then you had like a bunch of these SDRs kind of like doing a lot of outbound, it was like scheduled demos. And then the combination of that was what your AEs, right, your account executives were going to sell. And so there was this like very strong friction in a lot of companies that I had seen, uh, both from a private record time and this time, that marketing and sales were not best friends, right? Sales is always complaining about marketing. Like, you don't have enough leads. Your leads are not high quality. And then marketing is like, you're not closing my leads. I'm giving you all the leads and you're not closing. Look at this. Look at your deal cycle, blah, 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 right? So I, I witnessed a lot of that. So I was in sales. And we had a lot of changes at Zenefits. We had quite a bit of uh, leadership changes, all that, both at the top and then also in like this, these specific departments. And we got to a point of like a lot of the people from the previous marketing team had left and um, marketing was kind of like a little kind of like rebuilding. Um, and I had been partnered with marketing for a really long time. And so I kind of like was kind of like straddling this like between sales and marketing. And eventually I did a switch, right? <laughs> eventually I was like, mm -hmm. okay. Go. And, and so when I got there, there was kind of like a ton of stuff that we just had to like rebuild uh, and ton of stuff that we had to optimize. And I, I kind of like got really excited because it was like, I'm, I'm an engineer. So it's like a numbers, you know, for a marketer, you're mm. kind of lots of numbers, you're optimizing, you're learning and you're putting tests out there and you're seeing. And I got like really excited about that. I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. And I was like in, in the growth area, right? Of marketing. So doing lots of like paid, the email and, you know, all of the, the stuff. And I wasn't really into the brand side, um, which is something that like I got exposed to later in my career. And so it was really exciting to kind of like see this world. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I like it. Um, and was kind of like there for for a little bit and and got excited, but it was it was my time, and then ended up going to do something else, and then joined GoDaddy uh, in marketing. Uh, so GoDaddy is a big company uh, in you know that obviously serves all small businesses trying to succeed online, right? First starting with their domain, their website, um, and we had this audience that was the web designer and developer audience. And these are the people that are helping these small businesses go online. Not everyone needs one, but often people do, about 50%, uh, either for the first build or for a rebuild. Um, and GoDaddy didn't have like a strong position for this audience. It was something that it was like, 
well, we kind of have a program, we kind of don't. Um, and I knew some people there and they were like, look, we feel like we have an opportunity here, but we don't know what it is. Uh, so it's kind of like this role of like figuring out what it is, come be an individual contributor. And it just happened that they were like, let's create this role in marketing. And so that was kind of like my second thing into marketing. It was, so I kind of like fell into marketing, really like it. And uh, GoDaddy was my first exposure, like first time that I was exposed on like to the brand aspect of marketing. That's bad. I mean, GoDaddy's a huge brand. They're like Super Bowl commercials and stuff like that. Like I've never worked at a company with that kind of brand exposure. Yes, it is. It is a totally different, uh, different game. And and it's, it's kind of like when you have, um, when you have, I was actually reading an article about SEO the other day, and someone was talking about when you're a small company, your SEO play is totally different because you have no brand, right? You're mm-hmm. just trying to crawl your way up. When you're a company like GoDaddy, you have so much equity that even like a tiny, tiny change can be like a massive drop or something like really massive, yep. right? So you have to be, it's it's a totally different game, right? So when you're a company like GoDaddy, stakes are really high and you have every move has to be carefully considered and assessed because it could really blow up in, in a very unintended way. So you have to be very careful. We, we've also found with working with smaller companies that the biggest risks or the biggest challenges are external. And with working with large corporations, the biggest challenges are internal. Yeah. It, whether it's like politics or red tape or just like the risk inherent in any decision, because yeah. like you said, the drop-off could be much bigger. But in yeah. the startup case, it's like, you you survive or die. Like you, you have yeah, to like get exactly. enough traction and you have to like prove that out fast enough yeah. in an area where there's tons of well-funded competitors and incumbents that you're dealing with on the outside. Yes. Yeah. It is. Uh, I want to talk about GoDaddy, but first yeah. I want to touch back. So sales side and marketing side, sales marketing fights. Did you solve that clash at um at Zenefits yeah. or is there is there a solution to the sales marketing conflict? So, so there is, and and I, I I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the Zenefit side, and then I'll talk a little bit about what we're doing now at Glide and how I think there are very different approaches, right? So, um, so on the Zenefit side, I saw this kind of like happening, right? And because I kind of like play both sides, I was like, okay, I understand what's happening, and so I created this rule, my internal kind of like guiding principle that I was like. I'm not going to go tell sales that they're not doing a good job until like I'm killing it until like I'm giving them like awesome leads and enough leads. And I like, they have a full pipeline. Like I'm not going to go be like, Oh, why's their deal size? Not this. What's their deal size? Not that. Mm-hmm. And, and I do have to say probably top three proudest moment of my careers. I had the VP of sales of Zenefits. Um, I'm not going to name him here, but it's a very well-known person. He came to me one day and he said, Bronco, we have too many leads. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, you know you made it when you're like, okay, too many leads. Okay, got it. Gonna lower it down, you know. Um, but but it was to me, it was really about kind of like I really understood their side and I really understood my side now and how hard it was. You know, sometimes when you are we were doing quite a bit of paid and we were doing you know, SEM, and we were trying a lot of different things on paid search and a lot of like social retargeting as well. And, um, you know, we found ways of like, if we just 
did the ads in a certain way. We would just increase like the call volume, but then they were lower quality. So I would look good in theory, but then in the end of the day, I knew I was hurting the sales team because they just had more activity, but it was lower quality. So I think to me, it was all about like keeping an eye on like, are we really getting to the bottom line and just not about my marketing KPI, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think that's the thing. It's having that joint thing. And for, for the more traditional companies that have this like marketing and sales, I think, in my opinion, that is around aligning around pipeline, not mm-hmm. around marketing around. Just and you mean shared around. goals, like they actually have shared metrics and incentives. Yes. Yes. To me, that's the thing. And I think for the more traditional B2B SaaS, I think the pipeline is a good metric. Um, and then um, now in the POG world, things look a little bit different. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But you did, though, it sounds to me like more of a mental model or a heuristic, which it sounds like just extreme ownership. You know, uh, it's like Jocko Willing talks about that. It's like so easy for everybody because everybody's only like inhabiting their own world and their own mind. So it's easy to see your challenges and see the inadequacies of other people around you and start to blame outwards. But you're like, what can I do to make sure there's no blame on my side before casting, casting aspersions? Yes. Yeah. That's an interesting way to look at things. Um, do you think also, I wanted to touch on your background. I don't think I knew that you were a mechanical engineer. And I think it's interesting hearing how people's backgrounds kind of, how, how they influence how they approach their work, especially if it's in a different domain. Yeah. So I don't know what the common background is to get into marketing, um, but I don't, I don't think probably the most common one is mechanical engineering. So I'm, I'm curious if you would describe any any of how you approach like mental models, uh, frameworks, like how, how you approach marketing yeah. is it different because of that background. I, absolutely. And I think like you, you find uh, in VPs of marketing, you find like all these different sorts of people, right? You have folks that really come from like the content thing. Like they're just like amazing content creators and they're visionary and they, and they think about the storytelling and this is where they're going to go, right? They're kind of like that creative content mindset, about how do you create this like beautiful storytelling? And then you have folks like me that for one reason or another, whether they have a more kind of like analytical type of brain, they come more from this like numbers angle. And it's about this like background a little bit in like performance marketing and this like analysis. And so you kind of like approach marketing more of like, what are the levers? What are the tactics that are going to give us like the most? And I think that the the thing that I, th- I find interesting is, is, you always, in my opinion, you have to be aware of like who you are and then surround yourself by people that are not like you. Because I think the biggest risk, big risk for me would be if I just surrounded myself by like all these like analytical marketers, right? And then I didn't have anyone that like really had a spike in the brand or in the content, in the storytelling. That would, I, I came to have an appreciation and learning around those areas. But there are just like different parts of your brain that you have to be exercising. And to me, it's like about surrounding myself with like people that are what I'm not. Right. Mm-hmm. But I t- totally, I think, right. The way I run marketing, I, you know, I know other people that run marketing, they're very like inspirational and the storytelling. And I'm like, these are numbers. This is what we want to do. These are our levers. I analyze the levers that are going to be, but so it, it is a different way. It's interesting that like I, I, Try it, sometimes I think about people in their archetypical sense. So, like archetypically, are, do you approach problems like a scientist? Like I feel like a lot of people in the conversion optimization space or experimentation space were scientists. They love discovery. They love geeking out. They love the unknown unknowns and figuring out new problems. There's 
I think promoters who are very good at getting attention, like they're very good at social and like carving out the right yeah. hook and like knowing what's going to get people in. Yeah. There's like writers uh, who I think are like very pure, like almost like craftspeople, like yeah. very, like they're into the craft of the article itself. Um, and then yeah. I feel like an engineer is inherently like somebody who one thinks in systems. So yeah. you're thinking like inputs, outputs, and like, you know, if I do this, what's the cause and effect. And then, um, sort of like a generic problem solver. Like I feel like it's somebody who looks for problems and kind of loves the nuts and bolts of like figuring out like the solution to that. That's absolutely taking apart a radio and putting it back together type of thing. Yes. Yes. I agree. That's an interesting framework for marketing. Absolutely. So um GoDaddy Pro. You wanted to talk about that. And uh I think that's it's interesting to me. Like I've my only experience working in-house at a large company was HubSpot. And how big was GoDaddy? Like how many employees when you were there? Eight thousand people. How many? Eight eight thousand. Eight thousand. Yeah, yeah. So that's large. Like I think I joined HubSpot at like a thousand, fifteen hundred, something like that, and maxed at like four thousand. Okay. Um so starting this new program, it's a sub-brand essentially. So this was GoDaddy Pro. I want to talk about that generally. So maybe first you can scope out, you did a little bit before. Could you scope out what GoDaddy Pro is and what the context was before then? And then let's go through kind of your frameworks to to building, getting support, launching, all of the details with that. So so the context is GoDaddy was a company with like almost 20 years of, of existence before I joined, right? And it was a company that serves all small businesses trying to go online. They started with domains, then they added hosting, then they added a website builder and an email and a bunch of other products, right? And they're a very successful company. Uh, you know, they have a lot of brain awareness. If you want to start a website, probably go to GoDaddy first before you do anything else. Uh, and that's incredible, right? Having that amount of like brain awareness is just incredible. And not only in the US, but like really across so many countries. Um, and so for many years, GoDaddy was serving directly or indirectly this web designer and developer audience, right? These can be like solopreneurs or can be people that have like small or bigger agencies that are just serving their their clients, right? Um, And so GoDaddy realized that way before me that like there was an opportunity and they kind of created a program that was called GoDaddy Pro, but it was kind of like a a sub program of like one of our business units and it got some traction for a while and then it kind of like stalled a little bit and then it got traction again and then it stalled a little bit. And so the time I was talking to them, they were like, look, we're kind of like in this stall kind of mode. And we're like, look, we want to either give it a go or we want to say maybe, maybe not, right? And so they're like, come in, take a look, and then we'll figure out what we need to do. And so I came in, and the first thing is I um there was this this preconceived idea that you know they all like hated GoDaddy because of like either the quality of our products or our brand reputation. Um, and I actually talked to a lot of these people and I talked to a lot of people internally, and what I realized is. It's not that they actually hated us. There was a segment of people that hated us, but most often they were kind of like indifferent to mm. us because they found us that we were like uh, just utility. You had to mm-hmm. go to GoDaddy to get your domain, but they didn't see this like partnership in GoDaddy and like how is GoDaddy invested in their success and, and it's helping them be more successful, right? Either by giving them the best products or a personalized experience. And so that was the insight. It was like, look, we have to think about this as a partnership, right? And so this was the beginning of the insight from taking GoDaddy Pro from just being a program to eventually becoming like a sub-brand of GoDaddy. Um, And so it was me doing research, customer research, segmentation, which is one of my passions. 
as an engineer and a scientist. Uh, and I did a lot of that. And I was like, look, we have like a massive opportunity. And I quantified how big it was. And they were like, great. What do we do? And I said, uh, sorry, how did you quantify the opportunity? Uh, well, lots of ways. So first I kind of like did a, a segmentation with an external firm. I talked to a lot of people, did an external segmentation with an external firm. And then I actually went through a lot of like reports, industry data, et cetera, to kind of like quantify these, um, how many agencies or how many freelancers existed. And it was in the like between five and 10 million uh, globally. So it was like a, for an engineer, it was like really exciting to be able to get a lot of this data. But a lot of it was like, it was a combination of like first party and third party data. It was right. a lot like market sizing, opportunity sizing, that would be the third party. And then you've got first party, which is like willingness to pay and like yes. who, are, who are the target customers within our customer base already and, and yeah. stuff like that. Yes. And it was super exciting. And then, uh, and then analyzing the data of um, all everyone and how they were behaving already with GoDaddy in their account to kind of like understand who are the people that were most likely already a designer and developer that we just didn't, didn't know who they were. So analyzing all the data was also like really exciting. And so we found that we already had like a ton of those people already in our customer base. They were mm-hmm. just not flagged as such. And so we were not treating them any differently. Uh, which was did you have to like create product signals or something like that? Like where it's like, oh, this person's using like these three products and there's actually like multiple users or something where you could kind of infer that stuff. It was like multiple user, uh, multiple users, frequency, um, how many accounts you were logging into or transfers. It was, it was a combination of like many different signals. Um, And they were pretty good in the in the end, you know. It was like, oh, okay, that's great. We also try to do some like more advanced modeling, uh, which was kind of like exciting as well. But yeah, lots of lots of different triangulations there happening. So you got the opportunity size. You made the case for it. It sounds like there was a, already a little bit of a false start. So like the the impetus to start the program was already like inherent. The company already wanted to do it. So how much did you have to? How much cajoling and persuasion did you have to employ to like get this off the ground? So because we actually had already tried to start twice before, it was kind of like internally, it was like tainted a little bit, right? People were like, oh, we don't know if we believe it in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was actually like really amazing how um, we we even went through like a naming exercise, right? Like, should we keep the name GoDaddy Pro or should we go to something different to just like mark that this is like a new era? Um, and so we did a lot of this exercise internally and, and GoDaddy has like a, an amazing brain strategy team. It's like, they're really top notch. Um, and so we did all of that, this work and we came with like, no, GoDaddy Pro is the right name for the sub brand and sub brand is the way we want to go. Um, and, it, and it was like really about convincing our CMO, our chief brand officer, our CEO. It was like a big deal. Right. And they were like, look, but what is the vision? And so when we presented that the vision wasn't this is going to be just a marketing play, but it was going to be a marketing play combined with like a product experience and potentially a differentiated support experience, um, things started making more sense. And that's when people got excited. And so it was, you know, my boss at the time got all of the funding and all of the stars to align for us to marry this marketing exercise with the product experience as well. And that's, I think, when like we really got a lot of traction and, and magic started happening. You got all of the resources you needed just selling the vision? No, not, not to start with. So I started, as I said, as an individual contributor. And I am pretty good at like begging people to work with me on things. 
Like we also had an amazing research department, which, you know, I learned so much from them. So in my first few months, I was like begging from people, begging from analytics, begging from this, begging from that, and kind of like working with all these people. No one worked for me. And, and they were like, it's not even, this isn't even like their date. Like it's not their no, no, it was responsibilities. Like, You're just like, please come on. Yeah. Just so help me like out me. over here. Yeah. And so I was kind of like begging everyone and I kind of like was building my case. Right. And when I got my case, I'm like, okay, you can start hiring people. Mm-hmm. And then one of the first few people that I hired was, um, a, a, you know, every web web designer and developer knows about WordPress. Right. That's yeah. yeah. And so one of the things is we knew we needed to have like a differentiated position in the WordPress community. And we kind of like had already been investing as a brand, but we we knew we wanted to go a step further um, and then also create our own community, right? Not only be related. So one of my first few hires was actually a field marketer. So I hired him uh, from the community and kind of like saw him like blossom. So field marketing is very important in in this kind of uh, thing. Um, I also hired kind of like a an all-up marketer, kind of like straddling between like product marketing and a, like a marketing manager, someone who can kind of like think a little bit about messaging, but kind of like execute campaigns. Um, and these were probably my first two hires. And then things started like taking proportion, right? And then it was, I got someone in the content team to start thinking about our content strategy. And then... Um, it was kind of like, and then I got someone to like do paid, uh, paid advertising for us because we wanted to do paid in a very different way than GoDaddy was doing paid, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of like started growing like this, um, and it ended up growing like to a really big. But it was kind of like first few months, me just begging, then growing a small team and proving something was there, and then when all the stars align, then that's when things got like really big. This is cool. This this it's giving me flashbacks to to pitching big initiatives at HubSpot because yeah. uh, this is the reality when you work at a large company and it, it, we yeah. can talk about like how that's different at startups in a little bit but um the the key here so one one thing that I really resonate with is like the amount of pre-work that's necessary to like build the case to do a bunch of the research on your own to really build a compelling vision and uh like here's the future world that we could exist in if everything goes right here yeah. and then to do a lot more like cross-functional um populist persuasion you know you're not necessarily trying to get like the buy-in from maybe the cmo right away you're trying to figure out who can help you build something to at least get things off the ground but like so between that big vision between that end goal where you're like all right here's the total total market the total addressable uh market and and starting out with like a little bit of resources, right? Like hacking on one hire at a time. Did you have to like phase gate? Did you have to like build out horizons or like track progress? Because I'm guessing like with the false starts, I'm guessing there was some skepticism and maybe people are asking like, how do we know this is working? Like, did you have to kind of prove that out and and give feedback cycles? Or I don't know if you understand like what I'm asking here, if it's we did, especially in a big company, right? They, they're mm-hmm. not like they, there's only so many resources that you can kind of like invest in something that is like a new initiative. And so at any point you had to be like, okay, do we have the right, like, are we going in the right direction? Or at least we're getting like an early signal that this is going. And so for us, uh, signups into the program were something that we were looking very closely into uh, as like, hey, are people kind of like coming in? Um, and then eventually start once we developed this uh, product experience that was specific to this audience, 
we started seeing like signals around, are they engaging with that experience? And, and you know, how do we evolve towards that? So um, yes, it was, you had to show kind of like some of these things and it's kind of like hard because in the beginning, when you're starting with like your first few things, it's like, you don't see that progress happening really fast. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this fear of like, is this going to be shut off? Right. And, and I think that like the important thing is how do you think about like how fast you can go with the resources you have to show some meaningful progress just to keep people excited enough to continue going, to continue investing. Right. So it's, um, it's a good model. It's kind of like this incentive model. I feel like that's the thing is like getting people excited in the early days when it is a little bit of a slog. And what I would do at HubSpot is I would, I would loudly celebrate the smallest of wins in the early days and really just like be almost a cheerleader for the program, especially if you had people who were helping out in addition to their day job. Like if it was somebody for instance, in my case at HubSpot, lending their hand on the product marketing team, yeah. I would like show, I'd be like, oh, this this person did this and look at like the success of this article or this campaign just to get people's attention, like even if it was leading indicators, just to get their attention in in the direction of the project I was working on. And then eventually it starts to yeah, compound and speak it for itself. Going, but it was it was funny. And, and those people that were the people that helped me my first few months there, that like I was just begging them to help me and you know it wasn't their job. Like, I was always so grateful and made sure that like they were always like mentioned as like the people that helped me get there. All right. And you're at a startup now. Yes. How how big is Glide? About 40 people. And how different, how different is your world at a startup? (laughs) Uh, It's like a different planet kind of. Um, So, um, it is really funny because my entire career, uh, people were like, oh, you're really fast, right? Uh, and then I come work at uh, Glide and then I'm like, oh my God, this is a totally different pace, right? Um, and one of our co-founders has something that I love. Um, whenever we're talking about an initiative, he says, why can't we not do that today? I love that. That's and it's that's, the most- That's such a classic startup founder thing. Yep. Just the most amazing thing because every time he pulls that, he doesn't need to do that anymore, by the way, which is which I love because he pulled that like three times on me. And every time my brain went to like, why can I not do it today? What's preventing me from doing this? What can I do? And then yeah. now every time I'm going to do something, I'm like, why can I not do it today? Because if I don't ask myself that question, Mark is going to ask me. So um, so I do love that. And it's it's a totally different way of like, kind of like operating, right? And and, and like speed is is critical, right? It's just, mm-hmm. this is one of the things you have because you don't have all those like big resources, those people that have like 20 years of experience in that specific domain that you need help with. What you have on your side is the speed, is the fact that like you do not need PR, the SEO team, the product marketing team, the CMO to like approve this one change you're gonna make on the website you can actually make that change on the website and start seeing if it goes up, it goes down or it does nothing. Right. And so I think that's, that's the thing that like, it changes the game totally. And this level of like buy-in that you need to happen is just like, just, just go, right. You need to have like a vision, but this like speed to execution is, is just like a totally different, uh, total different game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you have me excited. This is, this is the world that I operate in. Uh, I started in startups and then joined Hub- HubSpot was like the biggest company that I'd worked for. They actually told me a little bit, uh, in, into my time there, they're like, you need to slow, slow down. <laughs> like, so I was so used to that, like fast pace, you know? Yeah. Um, 
So look, I wanted to echo your points there because it's it's a risk reward inversion. So like what you were talking about before with like the large companies and like a small change, like actually having huge negative, potentially having a huge negative effect. Yeah. Nothing's going to happen. Barely anything's going to happen. Barely anything's going to tank a business if you do something on a website of a startup. I mean, like, you know, for us, if we read a bad blog post, no one's going to see it. Yeah. Um, but what's going to kill us or a startup is not doing things. Like yeah. if you're just sitting on the sidelines, just waiting for the project, you know, waiting for buy-in for this, for that, for everything to be perfect, for the plan to be laid out fully, you yeah. sit on the sidelines for six months and all of a sudden the opportunity is closed. Like you, it's, it's yeah. no longer available. So it's like, that's, what's going to kill a startup. Not necessarily yeah. like the small, uh, small mistakes that they would make. Yes, absolutely. And I think that like, I am, uh, um, I, I really believe in like making mistakes and turning them for the better. Um, yeah. Like way back before uh, HubSpot acquired uh, the hustle. Remember the newsletter you guys acquired at some point? Mm-hmm. So the hustle actually did, they sent a, a daily newsletter. And then one time they actually sent yesterday's newsletter that day. Yeah. And they actually sent it like an hour later, uh, like uh, the new the updated newsletter. But the top of the newsletter was just like a, a screenshot of their Slack. Someone saying, oh, yeah. dude, we just realized that we sent yesterday's newsletter. What are we going to do? Send, and then someone said, send them the screenshot of this message. You know, what's funny is I'm pretty sure they manufactured that. I'm pretty sure they did that on purpose because because they know that like authenticity is very endearing. That's, that's my conspiracy theory. I don't have insider knowledge on this, but yeah, that, that's, I feel like a lot of the times this, this was a tactic for a while with e-commerce companies. They would like send a typo or something like that and be like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And it was like, wow, there's a real person behind this. This is awesome. <laughs> oh, but I got inspired whether it was real or not. I got inspired and I used that tactic at Zenefits and I actually used it recently here at Glide. So we were actually, we wanted to do like, um, uh, we wanted to talk to some of our customers that were like early in the journey. And, you know, you tend to like, we have like an amazing NPS, like Glide. I've never seen a company that has people that love the company so much like we have at Glide. But those people tend to be like further in their journey, right? They have already built one app, two apps, five apps. Um, But we wanted to talk more with these people early on. And so we were like, let's go, let's send this survey. Uh, Let's get talking to people. And we had this whole thing about like, we use HubSpot as our CRM and it was marketing context, whatever. We send the email and somehow it triggered uh, one of our flows and it started sending our onboarding series to all of these people. So in addition to one email, it started triggering the onboarding series to them again. And so I then said to my team, they were like, oh my God, what's happening? Everyone's getting all these emails. I'm like, okay, stop the email. Let's send an apology email from my name. It's usually the VP of marketing that makes a mistake like this. And let's say the like, and we were so excited, so eager to talk to them that we made this mistake. And we actually had this incredible response rate on this apology email that was just mm-hmm. like, oh, we messed up. So I took a page out of that uh, hustle playbook of like, always turn your mistakes into like something fun and people will engage with you. We had nearly the same thing happen with, we use HubSpot as well. Um, I think it was our podcast guests or our past office hours guests all got enrolled into our marketing emails. So they had like the onboarding emails, the newsletter and all of that stuff. And I probably, it was not on purpose at all, but like David sent an apology email and was like, you know, we fucked up like this. Sorry, sorry, blah, blah, blah. And a lot of the people 
obviously everybody understood, like nobody was angry, but a lot of the people were like, no, no, keep me on. Like, I, I totally want to hear, like, get your emails. <laughs> like they're actually really interested in chatting with us more. So I was like, huh? Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Cause yeah, everybody makes mistakes. Like it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's such a relatable thing. Yeah. So yeah. do you feel like you're able to be more creative at a startup? Generally yeah. speaking? Yes, I think so. I think so because, it, and it also like pushes your just like now being kind of like a, a GoDaddy I had all the support of these like very specific functions that were like experts in their area, right? So I had this like most amazing product marketing um, partners that they were the best product marketers you can possibly imagine, right? And now I have this incredible team, but we are one of each. They they call themselves the Avengers. <laughs> so I have one amazing product marketer and I have one amazing content marketer and I have one amazing community person, right? And so on and so forth. And the the thing is just like, it takes me to very different places, right? Where I'm like, oh, now I'm brainstorming with my content, you know, my head of content about like this series that we're going to do about field operations um, experts, right? And how are we going to make that exciting for people? And that like takes you in that like content creativity. And then I'm talking to my growth lead and I'm talking about like all these different ways that we're going to make our template store better. So it's kind of like flexing different muscles and it's this like always on. Um, One of the things that I found that was pretty overwhelming for me in the beginning is I was trying to be on everywhere all the time. Mm -hmm. It was not very good. So one of the things that I found is um, I kind of like observed our, our CEO and under the co-founders is he's pretty good at like, he says, oh, these next two weeks, I'm going to sprint on this, right? And then he would go really deep on the topic and kind of like get a lot of work done and blah, 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 blah. And then he would move on to the next one. And I, I observed him doing this and I kind of like really like that. So mm. I'm trying to do that a little bit more now instead of trying to be, I still do one-on-ones with my team and all that and keep everything moving. But when I try to go deep, I try to be like, for example, last week and this week, I've been spending more time with my head of content, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'm finding these to be ways that like I can more meaningfully engage because otherwise it's too much context switching. And yeah. then I'm not as creative if I'm just like, tack, 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 tack. I think the focus thing is really hard because at, at big companies, your focus is set for you almost. And in fact, like when I was at HubSpot, I always wanted to, to do more than my job technically was supposed to do. So I would always be like, hey, could I do that? Could I do that? Everybody's like, no. And it'd slap my wrist and they'd be yeah. like, you can't do CRO or whatever it was. Um, whereas you can do pretty much anything at a startup. Like it's it's pretty much yeah. like pass me the ball. Like I want to I want to take my shot. Um the cool thing though with that is like I think the like it's the clay on the statue hasn't set yet so like a lot of things are still in motion and you like even if it's not your specific domain you still have so much control over like morphing how the company ends yes. up like whether it's positioning or like even testing different channels and marketing avenues like the clay hasn't set yet so there's a lot that's still in motion. Yes, yes. And and honestly it's about choosing what you're going to focus like right now this quarter, right? Because um, there's so much that you can do um, across all these. Like you can do have an amazing lifecycle marketing program, and you have an amazing website, and you can have an amazing content series, and you can have an amazing like Blind University, which is our LMS. And it's just like, can you do them all at the same time? Mm, and I, the aggressive person in me, I, I always want to do them all, and then like, well, we can't, so we have to make choices. So it's it's a constant realignment, reassessment of like 
what you can do and what you should be doing right at this this moment. Right. Well, and then there's the added challenge, and this still exists in large companies because you're adding on products like with GoDaddy Pro and HubSpot would add new hubs and all of that stuff. But with startups, like a lot of the time, you're like, should we go up market? Should we position ourselves differently? Should we should we change how we're talking about ourselves? You know, like that's something that we have to deal with sometimes with with the agency and like different trends. Like, you know, we're like, how do we talk about AI? And like, there's just all these little things in flux. Yeah. Do we support it? Are we against it? Are they our villain? You know? Yeah. So I thought it was cool uh, if you want to talk about this at all, but like the brand POV exercise, like in kind of how, like it it was cool seeing like themes emerge from different members of your team and and consolidating them into like this. I I think like the cool thing about startups too, is like, there's usually a lot more passion kind of behind the project. (laughs) And I'm sure that always existed, but large companies eventually, you know, it's people forget about it a little bit, but yeah. So the brand POV is something where it's like, you can kind of come together and figure out what the topics du jour are, how your customers are talking about them and what your angles are on those things. And I feel like those aren't static. Like those, those are kind of evolving things. Yes. And they evolved like really fast. So yeah, we did the brain POV workshop with you guys. And um, it was, I was really excited, right, to do it. Remember, even before we did it, I was really excited because um, to me, this like, sometimes I feel like companies are their worst like critics, like, you know, they criticize so much. They're like, we're not as good. We're not as this. We're not as that. And then sometimes when you think about customer, and, and then sometimes you you have this, this thing like everyone knows about us or no one knows about us. And it's usually none of them are true, right? There's usually like a segment of people that know about you and they know something about you. And so I think that like this coming up with this like brand POV and then putting into motion, I think it's like really important. And knowing that is like, you put that today, you start working on that and then your product is going to evolve and your audience is going to evolve and the the ecosystem is going to evolve. And then you have to kind of like keep changing that brand POV. Um, and I, I'm really excited about that because I think one of the things that we are finding is as we, we are a horizontal product, right? You can build like any type of software with Glide, which is incredible, but you know, is that what people want to build any type of software or they want to say, Hey, I actually want to get my field teams to be more efficient. And I want them to have the information they want or pass the information that they're gathering from, you know, the sales they're, ma- they're making or the inventory that they're tracking. And so I think like starting to think about that in uh, that brand POV is like, it's really exciting. And I, the reason I was even more excited is because in a, it, some products are for a very specific audience, right? They're for salespeople, for marketers, for, um, you know, customer success people. Um, and we are a horizontal product. So mm-hmm. how do you do that, right? Do you pick one and you just go really hard on that? Do you keep it at the g- general level? And so we're kind of like playing with that a little bit right now. This like how much of our message continues horizontal and how much we kind of like go in like one of these like verticals or personas. Um, Mm -hmm. Pretty, pretty good learning for me on how you do that. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it too, it's like stuff that kind of applies generally across and some of it, like what I, what I found enjoyable is like, I think when you're on the outside, you can hear what is inspiring in ways that sometimes you forget about internally. Cause like one of the messages about glide that I found really interesting was like the kind of empowering um, typically less technical people to do things that typically technical people can do. And it's like, everybody now is is, uh, fascinated with generative AI. Cause it's like, Oh, you can like write, but you don't need to know how to write. You just need to like, you know, how to prompt it up. 
there's a ton of shortcomings with AI, obviously, in, in the writing component, but people are thrilled. It's like unlocking all of this knowledge and insight, and you could do things easier. And it's like, oh, you could do the same thing with, with technical. You can build products without like spending 20 years of your life coding, you know? Like that to me, I was like, oh, that's like a aha moment. It is, it is so incredible. And like, I, I love doing customer calls for a variety of reasons for research, for customer stories and all that. And like when, when I talk to our customers and they talk about like how Glide has helped them create something that they never thought was possible. Right. And HR director talking about like, she built this whole hiring applicant tracking system that, you know, it was quoted like a hundred thousand dollars a year and she built it and she loves it and she can make changes that she wants. And you can talk about people that have like a hundred technicians and how they built exactly what people needed. And they had tried tools before and none of them like stuck. And then this one was the one that like people really wanted to use. You just, you just put this power in the hands of people that you're just like, oh my God, this is so exciting. So it's, this is stuff too, like we were talking about, it kind of gets you off the sidelines and it gets you momentum, which I really think is like one of the keys with startups is momentum. Yeah. No. So what, you wanted to talk about remote stuff too. And is this, yeah. is Glide the, Glide's fully remote, right? Glide is fully remote. Yes. Is yes. this the first company that you've, you've been a leader at that's fully remote or uh, what's your experience been like there? No. So, so GoDaddy, GoDaddy was actually a pretty flexible company. So we had offices everywhere, but uh, we, because we had so many offices, uh, a lot of people were kind of like distributed so we had a, a pretty flexible culture and my team, I, I was in San Francisco when I started at GoDaddy and I knew it was probably going to be really hard to hire everyone in San Francisco, right? Mm-hmm. So from the get-go at GoDaddy, I said, look, you know what? I'm not going to hire anyone in San Francisco. I'm going to build this team fully distributed. That way we can all be on the same kind of like, you know, same level. So we don't mm-hmm. have people in one office and then... Um, so that was like my first experience, but we had this like pretty heavy still like office component, right? And we had a lot of like FaceTime with people and we did a lot of offsites. So Glide now is my first experience of like starting in a fully remote environment, right? And and just like building a team, right, that I'm building and creating a culture of a team and figuring things out all remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love it. Like, absolutely, but it's very hard. Yeah. Very, very hard, right? Because there, there's just, there's a there's something about the alignment, the conversation, the exchange that, you know, we all get Slack fatigued, email fatigued, Zoom fatigued, project management tool fatigued. And, and the conversations just tend to, the, the creative side tends to be a little harder. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, the whole remote thing is really good for when you're like, oh, we have a plan and we're going and we're executing. You're like, great. Everyone is working at their own pace and their own place. But when you want to start figuring out those like bigger things, sometimes you want to take more of that time and make that space to kind of like do that. And that's when the remote thing sometimes gets a little hard, right, for you to figure it out. And we're not only remote, but we have people like in many different time zones. So we mm-hmm. also have to juggle the like, you know, not everyone is working at the same time. So how do you organize yourself around that? But um, it is it is a blessing that, you know, our generation now, we can do these really exciting jobs from anywhere. Um, and I, I love it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it any other way anymore. But there are these things about how do you build these this rhythm this cadence and how do you build like a team culture uh in this cohesion that um you know 
sometimes in person, you can, you can actually get a lot more done um, faster, but we actually just did our marketing offsite about a month ago, beginning of this month. Um, the, all the marketing team came together uh, and it was phenomenal. So if people are working remotely and they have the opportunity of doing this type of offsite or bring everyone together, um, it's really incredible. Where did you go? We went to Vegas. Did you, how, how did you structure the offsite? Like, did you do fun yeah. activities? Did you do work sessions? So um, I actually spent quite a bit of time thinking about it. Uh, so we all flew in uh, on a Monday and we actually started with a hike. So I didn't want to start in a meeting room. I wanted to start with something kind of like, let's not go in a meeting room and be boring because, uh, you know, we're going to do a lot of that. And so we did a hike for the morning. Then we did kind of like a low key lunch. And then we started with um, introductions in like a really fun way. Uh, and then we did um, our team vision. Um, I actually started with a quote that was like, um, Vision without no actions without a vision are a nightmare. A vision without an action without actions is daydreaming. Mm, love that. And so we then created, we wrote our vision for the team together. So we did like post it exercise. And I did a lot of like computers off because I wanted people to be really present, right? Mm -hmm. One of those people that if I open a computer, I get sucked in. So I'm like computers down, lots of post-its. Then we did our vision. We actually started our first version with ChatGPT. We hate it, but we tweaked it. <laughs> we, we did our vision. And then after that, we did how do we want to operate as a team? So we came up with like five things we want to operate as a team. Um, I'll, I'll give it just a couple examples. It was like be radical, own it, uh, make workflow. So it was really exciting to be like, this is how we want to operate. Um, and then that was day one. And then we went out for dinner, blah, blah, blah. And then the next day, we kind of like did a lot of, a little bit more of like the work stuff. Um, and I did an award ceremony, which I highly recommend for anyone doing like any team thing. So we, I created a Glide app before and people did um, submissions uh, for many different, for, for people got, um, you know, nominations for different awards. And then everyone got an award. It was kind of like a really nice way of like, people feel like seen and recognized. Mm their work um and then we did some work stuff and um we ended with like like a really creative exercise so i don't know it was two days su super packed but i feel like the team got out of this totally different because is, we have created this this like bonding you know is it the first time you all have gotten together in person okay yeah that's a big deal because we we just did a similar thing a couple months ago in, in temecula it's funny too like so so like I think the ideal pace for a remote company or in general is to do one of these, I don't know how many times a year, but like regularly yeah. meet together in person and then go back and have everybody work however they want to work. Yeah. Because I think there's certain things that don't translate very well. Like when, when we were all, you know, everybody was remote, everybody was in their apartment or house during the pandemic. I feel like a lot of companies, including the one I was at, tried to do culture activities via laptop and they were horrible. Like it was, I mean, sometimes it was all right. Like we would do like Airbnb experiences and those could be fun, but like doing any sort of like vision boarding or sitting through like icebreaker sessions and like zoom happy hours. I was like, I don't, I don't want to be here, you know? <laughs> Cause like you also have, like you said, your laptops open, you're on the computer. So you're like looking at Twitter and you're checking your email and you're not fully present anyway. And yeah. I don't know if there's a way to actually translate those things virtually. 
I, I, I haven't figured it out anyway. I, I haven't figured it out either. And, you know, our company, we're like design is a really big piece. So we're really big into Figma and Fig Jam. So they do a lot of like Fig Jam boards, which are kind of like a cool thing to do when you're doing more of this like brainstorming. But this whole like team visioning and our values and how we want to operate, like, I don't think you can get that same level because, you know, you're on your Zoom and your Slack is like one click, yeah. if not open. <laughs> But it's so important to do those things in general, and especially at the startup stage, because you really need, and it's, it's like hard times right now, like the economy's not great, and there's all kinds of flux, and like you really need a cohesive unit where everybody's, um, Dharmesh HubSpot would say, like your vectors are aligned, you know, you're you're heading in the same direction, and you've got this team cohesion. Yeah, and exactly. so those activities are very important. Like it's not this yeah. intangible, fluffy stuff, it really matters. Like I left feeling so much more, you know, motivated and inspired and had all these creative ideas coming out of that. And I felt like we were aligned. I know. I know. We were so excited. And I was like, I was kind of like leading the whole thing. I came home and I was like exhausted because, you know, I felt like it was like a performance, like, you know, like facilitate all this and make sure that everyone is okay and make sure you're checking energy levels. And, you know, (laughs) it's fun. It's fun. Totally. So when you're working back at home, back remote. Um, and as a working parent, like, do you have, like, what's your, how do you balance, you know, work-life balance? How do you, like, what's your productivity function? Like, yeah, how do you get shit done at home? <laughs> so I, I am a morning person. So my, I pre-kids, my ideal life was like, I would wake up and work. Right. And I would do this most amazing work in the morning before what's, what time, up. what time do you wake up or did you wake up? I I wake up at five a.m. But all right, <laughs> but, but like it's I, I'm a I'm not a good sleeper, so this is not like yeah. a, a superhuman. I'm person. just I admire like I wish like, I want to be that person that wakes up at five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, so I I used to love this, and I remember when I was back in consulting. This has been my entire life. Uh, people would be like, "Oh, do you want us to come earlier to work with you?" I'm like, "No." Do not come in. This is my time, right? So with kids now, life is a little bit hard. So um, I wake up at five. I try to work out because that's the only way for me to stay sane, um, like in the basement. And then I take a shower, take care of the kids, get ship the kids out of the house. And then, and then I start working. And then I because we have this like global team, I do kind of like quite a bit of my meetings like this morning time, et cetera. And then mm. I, I always try to carve out like a time in the afternoon where it's like unlimited, uh, uh, uninterrupted time for me to do like more of this like deeper work. Um, I don't love it because it's it's a time that my brain is already fatigued from the day and the many decisions that I've made. That's that's working on the West Coast though. You got, yeah, the time mm-hmm. zones are not in your favor for it's the morning not in my favor, deep work. But I love California <laughs> too much to leave it, so... Yeah. There's trade-offs, but also you could, you know, if you, if you did surf, you could go out at whatever, probably 2 PM and it's 5 PM in, in New York and people are off. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it affords some interesting, uh, work-life balance as well. But on the flip side at HubSpot, my manager was in San Diego as well. And, uh, you know, he'd have to take meetings at like 7 AM and just roll out of bed and, you know, yeah. hair all messy and be like, all right, this is my meeting time. Cause everybody else is awake. So. Yes, 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 yes. My 7 30, 8 a.m. is like my, you know, everyone is awake. Things are happening. <laughs> I couldn't do it, but that sounds solid. Do you, do you want to do some uh, rapid fire questions? I know we're, yes. you know, 
almost a time, but yeah, the rapid fires are fun. Who do you admire professionally and why? This is really funny because I got got this question yesterday from prepping for a rapid fire. And, And the really funny thing is the first person that always comes to my mind when someone says this, it's Obama. I don't know mm-hmm. for what reason it's Obama. Um, I read his biography, one of one of the many books about him. And I just, there is this kind of like clear vision and clear sense of purpose and path that like, I just really admire. Um, and I, I, I think that's the thing that I, the people that I admire the most is just like, they have this like really strong sense of purpose and what they came to this world to do. Um, I don't think I have that strong of a, a, a sense, but like, th- these are the people that I tend to admire the most. Do you happen to remember the book or the author of that specific biography? I, I don't remember right now. Cause I read it many, many years ago and I didn't reread it. I, and I don't have it here in my bookshelf, but it was, it was a, it was a good one. It was, I read it when I was probably 15 years ago. Gotcha. If you find it after this, uh, shoot it over because I'm highly interested in checking that out. Um, If you could create your own category in Jeopardy, what would it be? And would you get every question right? Well, I think the only thing that I would get every question right is anything about Friends, the show. Oh, really? (laughs) I don't know if I've ever seen a full episode. I've seen clips. I probably I the, seen, well, I'm a little older pivot. than you. I probably yeah, yeah. saw all, all episodes of Friends at least three times in my life. Huh. Huh. All right. And you'd get every question right. Probably. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. Like, I don't think I'm, there's nothing else that I'm better at in my life. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, what talent would you most like to have? Singing would be a good one. That's mine too. I totally agree. I do not have a good voice, but I just, I have a a whole family of like people that are really into music and I just wish I could like take part in that. And when somebody has a beautiful voice and starts singing for me, it stops me in my tracks. Like I'm just, something that just catches your ear and it's like. It's the closest thing to a superpower. mm -hmm. I agree. Um, do you consider yourself more scientific or artistic? Scientific. <laughs> we already established that you're an engineer. <laughs> um, if you could have dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Obama. For All sure. Right. He would be a great dinner guest. I don't know if you're an uh, Anthony Bourdain fan, but the episode where he and um, Obama, I think they went to Vietnam. Yeah. Yeah, he's just he's just like has a sense of purpose. He's cool. He's like smart. Has like all these qualities that you're just like, come on, guys. You know, yeah. you gotta have I, dinner. Again. That'd be a good dinner guest. Yeah. Um, what do you consider the most overrated virtue? Patience. All right. You fully embodied the startup life, I can see. <laughs> My entire life, everyone was like, you got to learn how to be patient. And I was like, I don't see how that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good answer and one that I generally agree with. Um, what? Oh, what's a career choice that you considered but didn't ever pursue? Formula One 
kind of like, ideally it was a Formula One driver and then became like Formula One team member, kind of like I'm a mechanical engineer and Formula One is really big in Brazil. So there's something about the intensity of Formula One that is thrilling to me, right? This like every race you're on it. And when it's not on the race, you're just like working on the car and you're making it better. And, you know, you're just testing it, it's just like, it was, you know, very, I, I never even tried, you know, it was just like this thing that it's like a dream, right? It's like, mm. but you, you actually considered that path. Like that was really? like, I, yeah. I was like, and, but I was just like, at the time I was like, how many women and, you know, there are no teams from Brazil and like how hard it is. I actually, I'm a mechanical engineer in my last year. I, my specialization was in automotive. So like, I'm, oh, wow. It was really you had it. Yeah, you were you were on the path. Like, That's I, such a cool I, answer. And and honestly, the um there's the singing, singing and and then race driving. That's so cool. cool. I love that. You know, we have a, a Formula One track in Austin. I think it's the only one, maybe. Yes, I I yes. Yeah, and I went to a Formula One race. Thing, I don't know if you have any rapid fire, but I'll tell you my biggest regret. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. I got invited when I was at GoDaddy to um, a Formula One. They were trying to get us to sponsor stuff. Uh, so one of the teams invited me, but it was in the middle of COVID to attend like a Formula One thing. And I did attend, but with everyone else, this mm-hmm. one was like a premium experience. And I didn't go because it was COVID and I had a little baby. This was in Austin or? No, no. It was going to be in the UK. Biggest okay, gotcha. Dad, Dang. That would have yes. been crazy. I went uh, when I was the first year that I lived here because I had, I was at a startup that was in the Techstars program yeah. and uh, Techstars brought like a party bus out and paid yeah. for the event. And it was, it was so cool. I also, <laughs> oh my God, I, I forgot about this until now, but the, the performance afterwards was Kid Rock, <laughs> which I feel like is much more like appropriate for like a NASCAR race than a Formula <laughs> One race, but yeah. it was still thrilling. Yeah. Um, okay. Last one. What blogs, podcasts, influencers, content, what are you consuming? What are you following nowadays? Um, I'm consuming like a lot of blogs these days, a lot of things. Um, I really, well, I used to love the hustle, but I, I don't follow it anymore. I don't even know if they run anymore, um, but I used to consume a lot of that. Um, I'm really into like Lanny's podcast, uh, around like all the things around like product management and PLG. And there's a lot of like really nice hits recently, uh, for us. Um, yeah, but consuming lots of content, lots of like these, uh, the, you know, growth marketing and PLG influencers on LinkedIn, quite a bit of those people these days. Nice. Nice. All right. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to mention or talk about? No. I think we covered it all. Cool. And where can people find you online? Um, LinkedIn is my thing. LinkedIn. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.